0: We hope everybody enjoyed episode 65 with Arsenal Academy coach Cy Copley Now here's a snippet of what to expect today
1: um, I, I heard Brendan Rodgers a couple of years back um, and Brendan explained it in a way that when you enter a pitch and irregardless of what age we're talking about whether that's senior um, players under 12s under 16s for example, you would look at them and on their forehead you should be seeing a quote or a statement saying, make me feel special. And that's how he explained it and it really stuck with me. And I heard him say that and explain that a couple of times. And as we all do in football, we're great thieves because we pinch different ideas and we try and adapt them. But I haven't adapted them. How can you change something like that? Because I thought it was a wonderful thing to visualise when you walk onto any training pitch. And I also take that method in a classroom when a player enters um, a building into your environment, if you can have any impact, the player is basically asking you, what are you going to do to make me feel special? And that can be done through an encouragement way, uh, a very supportive way, or even in in a constructive way, showing them you care and you're wanting to to make a change for them.
0: We're excited to welcome Matt Jones onto today's episode of The Golders Podcast. Matt is a former Welsh international and Premier League footballer. who played for Leeds United, as well as other clubs. His playing career was cut short because of injury, but Matt stayed involved in the game and is now positively influencing the next generation. He's currently the head coach of Wales' under-18s national team. He's the under-21 assistant coach and is a senior women's team assistant coach as well. Matt, welcome and thank you for coming on to the Golders podcast today.
1: Thank you, David. It's so nice to, uh, to finally see you on screen. We've uh, spoken a couple of times and obviously fully aware of the both of you. You're doing some fantastic work and it's been a pleasure listening to your podcast. So now to be asked to, to come on board, uh, I do feel slightly overwhelmed and really looking forward to this. And I'm sure you'll be able to delve in deeper and uh, allow me to open up probably than, than I have done Ever before,
0: we'll uh, we'll crack on another uh, the first question. I'm sure you you're aware of what's coming. To us, gold dust is sprinkling particles of knowledge to help people. What does gold dust mean to you?
1: Um, I think when I reflect on 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 gold dust and how I can sort of sprinkle that gold dust as such, it's what type of impact or influence I can have on a player. So looking from a coach's perspective now. It's how can I, I really um, make a change for a player? And and you can do that many ways and many times you know, within a 24-hour twenty four window. That differs, obviously, from um, domestic club football to international football. Um, but regardless, it's about the impact that you make on, on a player's footballing career and as well on a player's life because I all, always delve into... Uh, the person as well as the player. And I think that's um, ultimately important uh, to to my role as a coach and a mentor. Um, I, I heard Brendan Rodgers a couple of years back speaking about, and he, and he put it in a tremendous way, really. Uh, when he was working at Swansea, I was, had the luxury to to be in and around because I'd worked with the younger age groups. Um, and Brendan explained it in a way that when you enter a pitch, and 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 regardless of what age we're talking about, whether that's senior or um, senior, players, under-12s, under-16s, for example, you would look at them and on their forehead you should be seeing a quote or a statement saying, make me feel special. And that's how he explained and it really stuck with me. And i heard him say that and explain that a couple of times. And as we all do in football, we're great thieves because we pinch different ideas and we try and adapt them. But I haven't adapted them. How can you change something like that? Because I thought it was a wonderful thing to visualize when you walk onto any training pitch and I also take that method in a classroom when a player enters you know um, a building into your environment if you can have any impact the player is basically asking you what are you going to do to make me feel special and that can be done through an encouragement way uh, a a very supportive way or even in a constructive way showing them you care and you're wanting to to make a change for them so that's ultimately how how I look at um, my sprinkle of gold dust.
2: Oh, what a great quote, Matt. Uh, Make me feel special. If we just delve into a little bit around you, your life, the, your past history, and obviously we'll be looking into where, you, where you're, where you currently, uh, what you're currently doing. But you're you're a former English Premier League player, uh, a Welsh international footballer. Can you share with us how on earth a boy from Slenethle, a little market town in Wales? Uh, more famous for his rugby, then eventually you found yourself playing football in England at Leeds United.
1: Yeah, and what a journey it was, Keith. I mean, just, just to add to that as well, and something I'm really proud of, because when I uh, retired from the game, I had a, a an opportunity, and I'll come into this a little bit later, but I did have an opportunity to represent myself in the Welsh Premier League as well. So that's another thing to add to my CV there. Um, but yeah, it's it's a career that... Uh, was short-lived due to suffering injury, which we'll come to a little bit later. But where it started for me was the complexity, the adventure, uh, and and the real journey that I went on from it from a young lad. Um, and even though I, 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 listen, I love speaking about these experiences. Not often you have an opportunity, but when I look back at my childhood, it's one that it excites me because of the the differences it, in, in how things have evolved now and how, the area era that football players have been brought into now, it was different to to maybe when I was younger. Um, but also the mentality and the attitude of my parents, which I think can have a, a big factor in terms of um, you know encouraging supporting a young player's career. And for me, it was it was little in in terms of support um, and financial support and and sort of uh, mental support, I suppose. But I was never. Uh, suffered any lack of love. You know, I was brought up in a, in a well-loved family, mum and dad still married, fantastic grandparents, uh, a real supportive and close network. But it was in an area which was deprived. Um, obviously, my mum and dad were uh, working hard to, to earn a living, but they had certain values that, you know, they brought myself, my brother and my sister up to adhere to. And that was understanding the word no. And when the word no is mentioned, you accept no. Um, Because I remember begging for months and months when I first started playing football for a a pair of football boots. And I was battering these these old trainers uh, day in, day out. And I ended up getting a pair of football boots from the car boot sale worth 50 pence. And it wasn't necessarily that my parents couldn't afford it. It was it was more the message behind it in terms of having to deserve something before I, you know or earn something before I, I got rewarded by it. Um, just to give you a picture, obviously my my brother was a couple of years older than me. So that in itself, I think everyone who's involved in sport realizes the advantages and probably disadvantages when you've got two brothers who are very competitive, and more often than not, it's the younger uh, brother that that in the long run gains the advantage. And that was my story. You know, my brother was bigger, taller, more physical, faster, um, packed a a much harder punch than me, (laughs) which I found out every day. Um, But I had to find solutions, you know, and and in the world of sport and in in every walk of life, you you have to be a, a good problem solver. And that's where it stemmed from me, really. How do I solve these problems every day to give myself an advantage, whether that was on the football pitch or scrapping with my brother in the bedroom. And, you know, having you know, that connection with him, whether that was fighting, playing football, rugby, you know, we, we were very blessed to be involved in multi-sports. You know, I played tennis, I went swimming, we lived on the coast um, and those were the luxuries because as a child, as you can see, a smiles on my face because it's so exciting looking back at those years where every minute that I was able to, I was outside. And I fully lived life you know absolutely fully lived life. it allowed me to be independent at a very young age um, and it allowed me to explore with different things. you know we, we lived opposite um, a traveler's gypsy site and that in itself was it was a challenge and a test because every day I had to fight for my bike you know there were gangs of boys and, and you know taking my, my bicycle off me or my football. And, and the words were, you know, I'll fight you for your bike. And I'm thinking, it's my Christmas present. Why do I have to fight for it? I want it back. But I had to stand there in to, you know, stand up for myself. And it was a, it was a great way of me maturing, you know. And it's not something I'd want to promote to my children now because of the dangers and the risks that come with it. But I mean, looking back at, at those years, it, w- it was fantastic because, you know, it made me stronger. It's where my resilience stems from. It's where my mental strength came from to to go on and you know, conquer things later on in life. So all those little things that I had to to achieve on a daily basis, you know, not getting lifts home from school where school was, you know, especially my secondary school was over a mile away. You know, I set challenges for myself every day in terms of how quick I can get home from school because the boys who were getting lifts home, they were back on the grass and they were already selecting teams. And every time I had arrived, it was, unfortunately, you're in the team who suffered. So I was never on the best team. So every day was a test for me. You know, I was superstitious to, to a degree where, you know, I, I'd be bouncing and pinging balls off the garage walls and, and there'd be a lorry passing. And as soon as the lorry passed, I'd be like, right, I'm going to beat him to the next lamppost. And, and that was a, te- you know, I, I seen every challenge in front of me. And it's, it's what made me faster. It, it's what made me more agile, uh, more flexible, more powerful. So all those change of direction, the dynamics of, of playing football, not thinking at the time with regards to the multi-sports, the mentality I had, I suppose the creative mind that I had at a young age really allowed me then further on in life to get success in in the world of football. Um, but in in terms of getting there, you know, I, I had strokes of luck, you know, time after time, you know, I had people who forfeited and, and sacrificed so much for me because you know, my dad was away working a lot. My mum couldn't drive, so I, I needed to rely on people. So those coaches, those grassroots volunteers who took me to places. You know, I remember my one of my first um, Welsh uh, regional or schoolboy trial. You know, at a young age, I would have never got there. You know, and and little principles taught to me by those coaches in terms of taking a spare pair, spare laces, polishing my boots for, you know, the gain of. Uh, appearance to make you feel better and that will help you perform better all these things were instilled in me in a very very young age and you know inevitably it happened one day that my my laces snapped in in the warm-up and I felt fully prepared you know it was just a brush off the shoulder because I was able to go back to my boot bag you know while, while the rest of the players are warming up and I was able to compete in that game which inevitably then gives you your next opportunity. If I haven't played in that game, you know, the scouts maybe wouldn't have recruited me to go on to, to my next step. So listen, it's, it's a long and a fascinating journey and, you know, I can take you through every step by all means, but it's what I'm incredibly proud of because of my upbringing. And I try to encourage and implement in that now the way I am as a dad, you know, I've got four young children, two boys, two girls. I'm very, very lucky uh, to have those children, but those are the values, I suppose, the habits and the behaviours that I try to recreate. And it's very hard in, in in this day and age, you know, the the modern way of, of living, and the things we got to fight for as parents. It's difficult, and it's it's impossible at times to recreate what we had as 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 young children.
0: Matt, you mentioned a little bit about values in there. What what were the core values that your upbringing taught you?
1: Um, so, well, so David, w- one of the the key inspirations in my life, while he was alive, and when he passed away, when I was eleven, was my granddad Dennis. Um, he passed away when I was eleven, and before those, um, you know, that that dreadful time, he instilled into me the the value of respect in others. So walking down the street with him, you know, he he was idolized. He worked on the uh, the coal coal trains and. You know, not a luxurious job, but one that he worked hard, a great work ethic. But he was he was a gentleman and he always took pride in his appearance. He always respected others. He always acknowledged people when he was walking down the street. He always looked someone in, a, in their eye when he shook their hand. And these were things that he educated me at, as a young age to be able to do. So it goes without saying, I'm going to mention someone like my granddad, because he instilled a fantastic value into me in terms of respect and respecting others. And I suppose, like, like I said earlier, you know, that value where you, know, you go on and shake hands and you acknowledge someone and you compliment someone or you give them constructive feedback was done at an early age you know, when, when I spoke about you know, fighting with the, with the, with the, with the traveller gypsies. You know? and, and probably five, six years later, when we're in our late teens, we're, we're the closest. You know, we, we become united. We're on the streets together or we're having a drink together, for example. Even though I'm a, now a Premier League player, but I've gone back and um, it's, it's really united us. So one week, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the new camp, um, exchanging shirts with, uh, with Rivaldo, for example, or playing for Wales in the Millennium Stadium. And the next week I'm back home. So that sort of humility and the, 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 the modest uh, modesty, I suppose, of you as a human being, you know, that, that was instilled into me. And listen, it's probably something that I was never allowed to get carried away Regardless what I achieved in my football career, you know, my parents, my friends, you know, my 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 siblings and everyone in, in the community that I lived in would never let me get away with becoming something bigger than I was. So it, it was a fantastic value that, you know, I, I took with me right throughout my career. And and it's something that still works for me now, you know, in, in every walk of life, you use these values uh, loyalty was something else, which was, which was huge within our small family unit. But again, you know, I learned that in terms of standing by myself and standing up for myself, but also, you know, looking after my peers, looking after my brother, for example, even though he was two years after uh, older than me, and it was an intimidating at times, but it was loyal that I stuck with my, with my blood and my family. Um, and, and those were, you know, great, great times that that I learned those lessons at a young age because, Every walk of life, you take these values. Um, I often speak to players and I, I often speak to, you know, members of staff, coaches, academy managers about, you know, instilling values and what values mean at times. And we all see the buzzwords, you know, respect, loyalty, the things I'm speaking about now, humility. Um, and you often see them branded on academy walls. It's having players to understand what really they, they mean. What, what, what's the depth behind respect? What does it look like? So one of my first coaching sessions when, when I got given the opportunity to lead Swansea City under-16s was not grass-based. It was classroom-based and it was speaking about values. And then to extend on that, one of our first practical sessions was every player had a black bag and we made sure that the environment was absolutely spotless. And even though we were lucky to be involved in a Cat 1 environment at the time, but there was still college football there the night before. There was still parents and members of staff you know who you know unbelievably leave cups and, and napkins and things thrown on the floor so I felt and listen it's not my duty but it is if it's our environment we have to take pride and we have to make sure things are spotless you know there, there was a lady Karen she's fantastic and she's still there at Swansea City and Paul Tancock and they were the sort of the the kit men and women the facility managers and even though, yes, OK, they're employed by the club to do a role. So making sure that the, the kit is cleaned and and facilities are, are taken care of and, and, you know, facilitate our needs as coaches and ultimately providing for the players. But I don't see it like that. You know, I see it as our duty to go and support them. So if we can go and help Karen pump up 60 balls and it takes two or three of us to go and help her and it halves the time that she does it, then that I, I see that as a... a you know, a very, a very valuable lesson and one that players, because ultimately when you're working in the academy, you kind of know that, you know, it's the percentages that go on to, to, to earn a, you know, a footballing career are very, very slim. So focusing on the human being first has always been my motto. And then we go on to the grass and we can take those values, that togetherness, that unity, that respect for each other, that fo- family um, feel to participate in a team. And that's then we can coach the the final details with regards to technical and tactical ability, for example, you know. Um, But those were, listen, those are values that, you know, and there's many more I can speak about because I was very lucky as a a young boy and it it certainly helped me in my footballing career. And like I said earlier, it's continuing to help me. That's what, you know, know, what excites me so much, I suppose, is that the things that my granddad taught me when I was a young boy, I'm still a to into now, and it's still giving me success in life.
2: So your first club, professional club, Matt, was at Leeds United. Whilst there, who were your role models at the club at that time?
1: <laughs> well, wow, listen to this. Well, being a being a young player, going to somewhere like Leeds United, it was a it was an absolute dream of mine to play football, irregardless of what level, at what football club. I was a Spurs fan, fan as a young player. So it, as you can imagine, you know, Paul Gascoigne was an absolute idol to me. Loved everything he'd done with the football, you know, the way he graced the pitch. Gary Lineker, another one, Paul Walsh, Gary Mabot, you know, they go on and on. But I was very, very lucky as a young Leeds United player because you had the likes and especially when I sort of carved my way to become a midfield player because of the qualities I suppose I, I possessed and the profile the club seen me being at. So then you you sort of hone in on players that play in your position. And what a luxury, you know, you had Gary Speed, you had David Batty, you had Gary McAllister and you had Gordon Strachan. And, and that was the heart of Leeds United, who won the 92 Championship the year that, you know, I moved up to Leeds. And, and you know, you don't need to look any further. And I was very, very lucky because, and, and listen, not just me, but, you know, all the, the, the young players associated with Leeds United were able to see them on a daily basis. There was great connection between the first team and all, all youth age groups in terms of, you know, that great new facility at Thor Park Training Ground in, in Weatherby. Uh, they'd moved from Fullerton Park there and, and you had the first team and the youth set up and all the, the younger age groups. And it was a wonderful environment that they created. So listen, when it comes to role models, even though, you know, I, I aspire to be Roy Keane and, and Paul Gascoigne and David Batty for, for different reasons, what I tried doing and what I realized from a young age, the importance of blending qualities of different people and becoming unique yourself and very much similar as a human being. you know my, my brother my brother has fantastic qualities, but I learned so much from my brother from his bad practice, the mistakes that he was making every day getting shouted at, getting rowed at, getting, you know, sort of consequences for for his wrongdoings, allowed me to learn. And I took that same mentality into my footballing career. So the ones who are being reprimanded, the ones that are being punished, the ones that are being frowned upon, or, you know, those are the behaviours that I don't want to take on. But also, what I do like about him, so you you take Roy Keane, for example, you know, there's so many traits and good qualities about him, but arguably there can be some negative ones as well. And Paul Gascoigne, the same. So I think it's a quality sometimes is to hone in on the real traits, the things that you can learn and, 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 and put into yourself, whether being a player or, or, or as a human being, and, and polishing those edges to, to become that rounded you. And I think that's a philosophy I've used you know, right throughout my life. And I'm, I'm quite, quite glad that I was had that way of thinking from a young age.
2: You mentioned Gary Speed. In that list of players, Gary played with you, obviously from Wales himself. How was it when you had that association? And what was it about Gary that made him so special both to you and obviously everyone else that he connected with and made special?
1: Well, I'll I'll give you one small story, and it's probably the most powerful story for me, really, when it comes to mine and Gary's relationship. Uh, which started in '92, so the year that they 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 won the championship, um, and I was a young player. So even though I'd been on trial a couple of times back and forth to Leeds and and numerous other clubs, you know, I think I made a joke about it before. Keith for my grandmother calling me the boy in a suitcase because. I always had the tact to get out to school lessons because I needed to check every football player in the school team had their shimpads pads and had their boots. And I had this tick list, which took me all day to go through a squad of 18. So I'd never be in lesson. And then I'd find a way to come off school on Friday and come back on Monday because I was in Chelsea or I was in Liverpool. Or I was visiting other, other clubs. And, you know, what more can you wish for being a young player? But the moment I arrived at Leeds, at Fulton Park, it was Howard Wilkinson. So Glenn Leatherin is, is a local scout, a former Leeds United player, and he's the one who recruited me to go to go to Leeds. So he'd taken me on the massive journey to, to Yorkshire uh, and being stood on the side of the pitch watching, you know, so many fantastic players in, in a year where they were so successful. And you have Gary Speed and, and Howard Wilkinson walking towards me. And it was the quality of the man, I suppose, who was still young at the time, Speeds, you know, but he, he knew my name. Which isn't hard because someone's gone and gone and told him, but he's extended that by asking, "Where have I come from?" And obviously, being aware that Leslie's a rugby town, and and that was one of my first contacts with Speeds when, when he said, "You know, Matty, great to meet you, great to have you up here. What do you think of training?" Blah, blah. blah. Anyway, what are you doing up here? You should be playing rugby, you know, coming from from Lesley, and it was just I was just overwhelmed, you know, and it were not the case of being starstruck, but it was it was a case of just being you know flabbergasted and, and slightly thrown back because. He knew where I was from, you know, he knew where Snell was, you know, and, and I honestly thought I'd gone to a different part of the world, you know, traveling eight hours from from, you know, South Wales all the way up to, to Yorkshire. Um, but it was the quality of the man and and that never changed. You know, I think many people who tell stories about speeds will always say about, you know, how humble he was, how, how much he cared for, you know, recognizing someone's qualities, how much he, he delved into their personal life as well as their professional life. You know, understanding people's names. And I think that was a great trait of his. And, you know, it's something I've tried improving. You know, it's inspired me to be better at that as well because it does sprinkle that gold dust, I suppose. It does make an impact on someone and it leaves something behind. And if it is just that small impression, which is a positive one of remembering someone's name, because that's what he's done with me and it's, it's lasted, you know, maybe 30, 30 or so years now. Um, but luckily, Keith, you know, we, we had a fantastic relationship. You know, it, it, I always classed him as an older brother because he was that much older than me. And when I, you know, went and, and moved to the academy, he, he always sort of embraced me. He always had an arm around me. It was as if he was looking after me because I was his his, his younger Welshman. Um, yeah, and listen, my, my career progressed. I moved to Leicester. Obviously, Gaz moved on and played for numerous clubs, but we came together and represented our country together. And probably every... Cap that I represented my country, Speeds was in that team, you know, and that goes without saying because he he was a, an absolute stalwart and a fantastic player, not just for Wales but for every club he played for. The impression he had on people and he left on people was remarkable, and the legacy he left behind um, is just irreplaceable. And 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 I just think it's you know it's it's an onus on on all of us really to try and keep that alive.
0: Well, Matt. With that being said, you, you have done a few charitable events. Can you tell us what you've done and like delve a little bit more into why you did them?
1: Um yeah, so it's well, listen, to give you a, a, a brief background first. So when when I retired um through it through injury, I mean, there's many, many people I, I I sort of lent on. There's many, many people that supported me that I didn't know at the time were supporting me. I took the, the sort of approach of isolating myself, moving down to London and, and it became, you know, I, I quite easily. And it, and it's, I suppose, understandable when you look at it now that I, I went into the depths of depression. You know, I was 23, being told that my career was over uh, through, through a, a prolapsed um, spinal injury. And it was quite unique, you know, and very uncommon in football, something you hear of in, in rugby and, you know, being told that I'd never play football again was 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 obviously heartbreaking and and took time to overcome. Uh, one of those uh, people who supported me was obviously Speeds, as well as many, many others. You know, I was very lucky to be part of a, a, a senior international side. You know, even though myself, Craig Bellamy, Simon Davis were around the same area in terms of age group, I stepped into the first team. But you had, you know, Chris Coleman, uh, Kit Simmons, um, Andy Melville, Matt Pembridge, Gary Speed, Ryan Giggs, Dean Saunders, you know, all these senior, senior uh, inspirational role models. So you just had, everywhere you looked, you had leaders around you. And and Gaz was a a fantastic one for me um, in terms of giving me the right advice as a young player, where to invest my money, how to look after my parents, how to be sensible in terms of decision making. Um, You know, still the motivation of, where mental strength comes from and how to translate that into performance, um, because he always believed that you're not born with natural ability. And, and he convinced me very, very much the same, because I was always the silver or, or bronze medalist, that I was always wanting to be better than someone else in, in the school team, in my county team, in every team I played for. So all our stories were quite relatable in terms of our our upbringing, our mindset, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and doing the, the, the depths of depression, Gaz was probably one of three that, that really helped support me, seek psychiatric, uh, psychiatric help, and, and, and pull me out of, of that, I suppose. And, and I couldn't be any more grateful of it. You know, I'll always be in debt to him and the others I'm speaking about uh, with regards to that. So when Gaz went through his struggles and obviously took his own life, it, it really impacted me, Dave. It really did. It's, you know, in a way where I, I had emotion of guilt, you know, why couldn't I help him, you know, come through that? What, what Why couldn't anyone else? You know, all the questions, I, you know, that Roger and Carol, Louise, his wife at the time, you know, his boys, all the fam, close fam, family and all the players that he's played with were probably asking the same thing. You know, I was just another. And, I really struggled with it because the impact he had on me you know he, he saved me from that moment and and I really struggled with it um so looking back to how I coped with my granddad's situation when I was 11 I translated negative energy into positive energy by doing something good and that was making sure that he's always looking down on me making sure that I'm gonna do him proud and every act know of every day every walk of life you know it's not just football but everything I'm going to do I'm going to do to the best of my ability knowing that consciously he's looking down on me I'm going to make him proud and I sort of took that very similar approach when when we lost Gaz and you know he was very fond of supporting Bobby Robson Foundation who was a you know a fantastic manager of his and they had a wonderful relationship and obviously the John Hartson Foundation as well so when I started, and this was after a conversation with Brendan Rogers, because I was working for BBC at the time, doing, doing, doing some interviews, and I'd done a, a piece with, with Brendan. And after the interview, we sort of casually spoke about, you know, what had happened and, you know, what I was struggling with, et cetera. And I opened up to him, and Brendan was great at that in terms of, you know, allowing, allowing you to do that. It's a great quality, and you, there's no surprise why, why Brendan's doing so, so well as a manager um but yeah during that day he sort of encouraged me motivated me to go on and and do something you know and I, I mentioned about running a marathon you know I want, want to keep proving these surgeons wrong who told me that you know I can't do stuff and I'm you know at the risk of being in a wheelchair etc cetera, etc cetera, and all that sort of the scary years that I went through uh, suffering from my back injury and he said what's stopping you you know and, and honestly that day at Liberty Stadium I I, and I said this these words to him, you know, I've got hairs at the back of my, my neck. I, I feel like getting a kit on and getting back out on the pitch. And he said to me, why don't you? He said, there's a kit in the changing room. Why don't you? And, and, you know, that, that was a, a wonderful push for me. So what I'd done from that year was was dedicated, you know, sort of 18 months after that to the Gary Speed Trust um, in terms of supporting his, his, his um, charities and I skydived, and I run half marathons, numerous. You know, went to his football clubs that he rep- represented, is my football club that I'd represented, and done half marathon before before every game. Um, I'd done three London marathons in in a row, um, and probably the hard one. Well, the two 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 hardest ones I'd done was running up Snow, Snowdonia with um, the Snowdonia champion Andy Jones, who supported me as my guide. Um, and that was a, a real tough ch- uh, challenge. And Carol came on the day as well to to help me through that, uh, as well as 24 hours sitting on a bicycle in a Tesco without getting off non-stop cycling for 24 hours. And that for me was the proof to everyone that the mind is stronger than the body and to, in, or, or should I say how you push yourself through that pain barrier, how you continue to work and, you know, and, and never say give up attitude and you know the the messages that Gaz spoke to me as a young player it was all coming back to me and it was all something that i wanted to revitalize i suppose and like i said said earlier i think because of the legacy of his life i didn't want to let it go you know the powerful messages he gave to me i wanted to share them even further um but listen i you know i'll always continue to to be graceful and respectful to to gary's family all his friends and the wonderful people who, who have you know, had such a an amazing impact in his life and he's also had in theirs. I cannot speak highly of, of of the player and of the person um, and I aspire to be him.
2: You can see where your granddad's, what the core values that you picked up from your humbling upbringing. Uh, and I'm sure your granddad and Gaz will be looking down on you with pride in uh, We're changing tact slightly. You mentioned you've filtered in little bits around your coaching. You are now involved with the Welsh FA. Share with us what your role consists of. What's your day to day routine? What's your month? What does the long term project look like for, for you whilst working for the Welsh FA?
1: Well, firstly, Keith, I think it's, it's worth pointing out that, you know, the groundwork that I've done at Swansea City, which I was so blessed to, to have those opportunities going in as a, a very young coach, uh, very inexperienced coach. And I suppose the one thing I'm grateful of now is that I was sensible and quite wise in thinking that even though I've had a footballing career and even though they've been fantastic experiences and I can speak about those experiences, but to earn respect from young players and coaches and, and in an environment like an academy environment, you you have to have the right attitude and work ethic on a daily basis and prove to people that you're not there because you're relying on your past. You're there because you're committed to the future and to these players. And, you know, that, that was really key for me in terms of starting from the foundation and working up through every age group, which I was you know so blessed to be able to have the opportunities uh, and it was one thing that enabled me to do is is have experience before being given a, a well what a luxurious opportunity is, is to coach at international level when I got first asked um, to be the national youth team's under 18s manager you know so it, it is a big role and it's, it was a big step I, I kind of underestimated myself I kind of reflected on all my experiences up and to, to date and thinking that I, I hadn't made enough mistakes on the grass. I haven't had enough experience. You know, these roles are usually to coaches with 20 plus years experience. And, you know, I've been on the grass for seven, seven, eight years at Swansea. Um, but I started realizing that the traits and the things that I have going for me that will help me in, in this position. And that goes back to the humility the growth mindset, you know, not going in there because I fully deserved it, but going in there to, to further develop and to further grow as a coach. And I suppose my idea of being a facilitator as a, as a coach, you know, I'm there to create an environment, I'm there to make it the best for the players, not necessarily about me. Uh, and that's allowed me really to make great strides, you know, within two years. It was obviously doing in the pandemic, which was difficult for most. But it was a fantastic opportunity for me to cast my net, you know, afar on every age group, understand the player, make connections with coaches, even though from a distance, with Zoom meetings, with phone calls. And I invested a lot of my time in, in those early months in, in terms of getting to know the player, getting to know what, what potentially could be changed, what could be improved, uh, what's being liked in the environment, et cetera, uh, and understanding my role. But what came with that is further opportunities because it was an age group that was seen unnecessary at the time because we weren't um, playing competitive uh, European qualification games. They were friendly games. So unfortunately, through, through COVID, they were probably the first camps to be cancelled, which then it opened up other doors for me. You know, I went with the 19s, I went with the 20s, went with the 16s, went with the 15s. Uh, and and still now having experiences going with Paul Borden with the, with a the twenty one. So what it's done is it enabled me to to further learn, and and because I've got that mindset to go into other people's environments and you know want to encourage and to make sure that I have the, the you know the the right manner while I'm there in terms of respecting what they do and trying to improve what people do. And if I can add value, I'll I'll obviously add that. Well that's how it's looked, Keith, if I'm honest, the last two years. It's just been opportunity after opportunity, age group after age group. Um, you know, I often think you know, now and again that the reason I went in there is to limit slightly and to have this work life balance that we all speak about. And, you know, it, it seemed that for a while, but then when uh, COVID sort of sorted itself out, it's it's been pretty erratic. But I suppose that's because of my my nature of wanting to connect with people. So these club engagements that we're currently doing, it's something that we've initiated to to not only build relationships with clubs, but to try and go in there and to showcase that what we do within our Welsh way of playing and what our our, uh, syllabus looks like, um, what our principles are, and whether we can tie those into the club's principles and how they play. And if so, you know, there's opportunities for us there then to go in on the grass and coach, you know, the course of players and... It's it's been brilliant, you know. Every day is a learning day, and you know I'm meeting some fantastic people. And it's overwhelming sometimes when you go to, and I, and I'm talking now from the very top to the to the very bottom. You know, we, we try and give everyone sort of equal equal time and equal care from from our perspective. Um, but naturally, and as you'd understand, you know, there are certain clubs that our players associated with, and then others where we haven't got. Uh, players, so that becomes our next venture in terms of building stronger relationships with clubs that that haven't necessarily got you know uh, Welsh players in.
0: Matt, to get deep meaning messages across to your players, though, how important is it for you sharing your journey of of uh, experiences and and storytelling, which you've done quite a bit of today? And um, with that, do you have any examples that you're willing to share?
1: Um, well, I think, David, it's, it's important. And, and listen, one rule is you only share them if, you, if you're asked if, if you're asked to share a story, then that's where I see the green light to to open up and share a little bit. Um, that's where I've always been sensitive as a coach in terms of speaking about my own experiences. You know, this is totally different today and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Actually, it's it allows me to speak and reminisce a little bit and. Uh, and, and you often do that in, in environments with young players, and I think it's important for them to hear that, but it has to be done in a respectful way. So, like I say, if they're going through troubles and they come to you and they open up and you can relate to that problem and, and you can relate and you can find a solution or, or try and support them in any way, I think that's, that's quite powerful. I think it's finding the blend of when you present your, your your stories, and I've often found that presenting it to to a squad or, you know, a, 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 a full group in a classroom is probably not so so powerful because they have to be uh, relatable and personable to the individual, and it's often from from their question, which you know, which I offer support. You know, a, a lot of young players who. Have come to me for whether it's you know problems in school, you know problems you know on the streets, for example, uh, troubles at home with their parents, you know, and, and you know looking after their well being is everything, and I can always relate to that because I've had a very very diverse upbringing as you've already heard, you know, I've experienced probably more than more than anyone. Um, and then on top of that, it, it comes the experience of making the steps. So, for example, a transition from, from under 18 to 23s football and you're having to to deal with negativity in the crowd, for example. You know, this is a, a recent conversation I've had with a player of dealing with, you know, people calling your name in a negative way and, and sort of showing that resilience, not allowing it to affect your game, for example. So that's a question that a player's come to me with. And I've sort of shared... You know, my stories are around how I dealt with that in a respectful manner and being the bigger person, you know, a lot of the time. And it's still, you know, open ended. It still can be a debate between you and the player, what they feel is the right solution. So I'm very careful in, in terms of telling them this is the right way to do it and this worked for me because it, it might be a different solution for them. But I think just having a, a healthy conversation uh, promotes them to think about maybe the right solution and what's going to work for them. And then it's about them experiencing and trialling it in a, in a safe environment. A lot easier, understandable with, with you know, developing players, youth players, for example, because there is a, a level of, of trial and error as opposed to senior players when they're asking for totally different advice. Uh, and that that sort of skill is, you know, leads, leans itself towards something different.
2: So coaching, obviously, now, Matt, plays a, a big part in your life, I know you've got other interests outside of football, which may be another podcast, but whilst coaching, what is it about coaching, influencing being around players and taking them on a journey that intrigues you the most?
1: Uh, Yeah, I suppose the the rewarding element, isn't it? The satisfaction of doing something making an impact like i mentioned right at the start of the call making someone feel special putting a smile on their face and even if that's just a compliment of you know what what they're wearing or, or how they've walked in or you know it, it doesn't matter where it where it comes from or what direction it's going in as long as it's constructive or positive and i think you know sometimes the morale and the 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 environment you create if it's a positive one and if it's an encouraging one and if it's a safe one for people to you know there is that fine line isn't there with camaraderie and banter in, in all environments um but I, you know i have great conversations with players around this as well of what's safe and you know where where the where we draw the line um, but for me it's it's you know i I think making sure that, that a player always feels that he can be its, be himself or herself and feel comfortable in an environment that you're creating. Because ultimately, like I said, you know, in player development, there's a lot of players that fall out to the system, fall away from the environment. And if you can have, have some sort of impl- impact in their life where they can instill something in a different profession – and they look back and think, yeah, do you know what? My coach taught me that. And it's nothing to do with football, but it's helping me in life now. I think that's quite powerful sometimes. Um, yeah, it's, 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 listen, it's, it's, it's really hard, isn't it? But I, I suppose my, my mentality, my attitude every day when I go into uh, the schoolyard with my children, when I go down the recycle tip, you know, it's, it's all about having an impact and making an impression. And, and it never changes for me. You know, I I was down there last week. I spent 45 minutes with an older man emptying his box trailer, taking all his dirty wood out of his trailer for no reward and for no thanks apart from a feel-good factor. And I felt good from it. And sometimes in any walk of life, if you can feel good every day with, you know, with an upbeat, enthusiastic sort of mentality, which you're positive, I think you're you're living a healthy life.
0: To talk, going back into the coaching side of it, what is what's the best piece of coaching advice you've been offered so far?
1: Um, well, as you can imagine, I'm I'm very very lucky to have not just played the, uh, a footballing career, but even since I've you know come away from my footballing career, I've been in some great environments. You know, some training grounds, meeting rooms, coaching conferences. You know, on on the course education, journey itself, been around some fantastic people, absolutely fantastic people. But one of the most powerful uh, pieces of advice came from da- Darren Jones, a, a young coach at, at Swansea City. Um, he actually led the under 13s when I assisted him and he was doing that year where I struggled with sort of this golden star document that we were working on. So it was an IDP, an individual development plan for, for us as coaches in terms of what we want to aspire to um you know in the in the coming 12 months and you know i, I through discussion a lot of the coaches were saying that they want to become the 16s manager they want to go on to you know to to coach in a first team environment etc etc and I, and i i genuinely you know my gut was telling me that i weren't i weren't there to tread on anyone's toes i was there to learn and i was really un, you know i was stuck in terms of what i needed to aspire to and Daz, I shared this with Daz and Daz said, listen, the way, the way to look at that is about being the best you can be every day. So for you to uh, aspire to be better and be a specialist in, in an under 13s assistant role. So if you don't want the head under 30, so basically what I was saying is I don't want to take your role, Daz. I don't want to take someone else's role in an older age group, which is often seen the the route or journey to success going up age groups. I was really content. I loved my job and he, he put it in, in a great way of saying, spe- specialize in what you're doing right now. Become the best under 13s assistant coach. And I love that motto. I love that message. And I've taken that every age group. But what I've realized is, is if you have that mentality of being the best you can be every day, those doors do naturally open, open anyway without you even forcing or influencing or trying to intimidate any opening of doors, it will naturally happen. If you're focusing on polishing and perfecting and becoming better than what you're doing every single day, naturally in a six-month program, you're going to get better and the opportunity will come for you. It's up to you then to make that decision whether you want it. So that's how I've seen the journey so far, that my progression has come from perfecting my everyday. And then probably the second piece of advice uh, came from a a case study I'd done on my pro license. And obviously, Chris Coleman, Cookie, and I go back a long way with our playing career. And, you know, so I I lent on him to do one of my tasks. And at the end of, of, of the task, we were just chatting away. And he said, listen, Matty, before I go, one thing, do not change who you are. It's your personality that's got you to where you are today. You know, don't change that. And he was basically speaking from his from his own example because Cookie's a, you know, a, a fantastic human being, unbelievably fantastic human being. And he was he was echoing that message to me saying, You've obviously done really well with, you know, the personality traits that you've already got. Do not change yourself as a person. And, and that's something that, I, that I've stuck by as well. You know, that, that humble side, like I said earlier, my family wouldn't allow me to change anyway. And it's whether I'm shaking hands with Rivaldo or someone in, in the recycle tip. You know, it's I treat everyone equally and the same. And it's, it's a great, you know, um, I suppose, value to, to, to adhere to and to hold. So those are probably two bits of advice that I always remind myself of.
2: You've obviously got numerous mentors in your life, You've mentioned a couple there already. But who else is there that you look up to? And what qualities do you admire about them?
1: So, like I've already said, you know, having inspiration as a young player was was key. And that can be through family members. I do some motivational speaking, you know, in, in recent years as well. And I speak to, you know, young school kids about that could be a school teacher, it could be a grandparent. It doesn't necessarily have to be, a successful sports person or a millionaire, for example, you know? Um, so I, having having role models is, is, is massively important and, and within your field. So obviously, I honed in, like I said earlier, was when I wanted to become a football player. I started targeting those those players I wanted to become and and embedding those qualities into something unique. Um, lucky to, to cross paths with some wonderful people, one of those particular is Dave Adams. So he's currently the technical director of, of the Football Association of Wales um, who's you know got the ability to, you know, to to coach at any level, to find a problem in any tactical uh, innovation. He, he's just an incredible man, incredible bright man in the world of football. And he was the head of coaching at Swansea City when he gave me a, an opportunity. So there's slight bias there as well, because he sort of encouraged me to come in and start my coaching career at Swansea. And then he moved on to the FAW and, and he was probably played a part in, in terms of bringing me to, to the Welsh setup as well. Um, plus, Dave, Dave was the, the senior coach, educator and manages the, the pro license. And he was my uh, individual mentor during the course as well. And he has pushed me as someone that, you know, and I suppose you have to have the right mentality to have people like this around you. But some people think that when someone is pushing you constantly to achieve and to push and to get better, that they can be a pain in the backside and you'd rather do without them. But honestly, I know that the way Dave's done it over over recent years is to get the best out of me. And he's put me in some really, really difficult uh, scenarios to make me comfortable with the uncomfortable. You know, everyone knows having that growth mindset and putting yourself in those situations is probably the best for you because otherwise you never learn and you'll never improve at that. So I have sacrificed so many years to just opening myself up to Dave and allowing whatever whatever he decides to go with it, and it's been it's been paid off really. Another one within the, the FAW is Richie Williams. Richie Williams is a senior player headed player development, and he's led all the teams from regionals. Uh, to Victory Shield team, he's the he- current head of under-17s. He's worked with every age group really, and Richie, with without a, a professional uh, or at the top anyway, uh, playing career, he again is a bright coach who understands environment, who understands how to get the best out of players, uh, how to empower staff, which has been a, a great learner for me and something that you know I've implemented and tried to, you know, to to perfect myself in my own environments, and then. You know, goes without saying, the opportunity I've had more recently in terms of working in the women's game, and it was something that I didn't want to say no to because it was a fantastic opportunity, and that was to go in to, to work as a coach with Gemma Granger, uh, the national team team manager, and and it was just meant to be a, a one-off, um, you know, offer of, of of help really to fill in a in a spot, and Gemma then offered me the remainder of the campaign. And even though I, I loved you know, the, the environment, I loved working around the women's game, but I understand the demand is, is, is high. It's more demanding on me because I'm already doing my own role. So it was an easy one to say no to. But working alongside Gemma and seeing her structure, her perfect planning and organisation in terms of leading into camp, how she leads, how she manages the group, how she empowers her staff, how she structures the itinerary, for example. All these, I, I realised that are great opportunities for me to learn alongside someone. So even though I'll have my role as a coach alongside Gemma in, in the women national team environment, but also I can go back into my own environment and I t- can take those processes. You know, someone who's had 11, 12 years of experience with, with the English FA in her um, journey, I suppose, and I'm learning every time I speak to her, every time I have a Zoom call, every time I'm on camp. And those are the environments I love being in. You know, you often hear people saying, embrace yourself, surround yourself by positive people, by, by good people. And, and that's what I do, you know, without forgetting my background and without forgetting those people from all walks of life. But honestly, it's a decision based on, because I'm alongside Gem and I know how much I'm going to gain from, from just that alone.
0: Matt? Final question for you. If you had to write down a list that you feel would benefit coaching in the future, what would be on it?
1: Um, Right. Well, so probably a couple of things to, to, to mention here. And one certainly, especially after, you know, this week's week's headlines in, in terms of understanding and accepting equality due to the game and its surroundings ever evolving. Everything is evolving all the time. We all know that the game modernises itself and evolves. But the surroundings, the environments, the the, the sort of, uh, should I say, difficulties, the complexities as a coach, as a manager, you have to deal with. So one particular, you know, Jake Daniels from from Blackpool this week, um, you know, speaking about his sexuality and how brave and courageous and inspirational that is alone, but how does that look for a coach? You know, how now the qualities have to improve? Now the, the understanding, the acceptance of coaches need to improve because that's how the game is evolving. You know, it's it's already in, in the women's game, and I think it's a fantastic environment. And the way you know it's it's understood and accepted in the women's game is is remarkable and and, and admirable. And I think this is just the start. So if we are looking at at the future coach we have to understand and accept equality and we have to embrace that and to be able to support players like Jake during the tough times that they go to to then ultimately get the best out of his performance um, I think I mentioned it earlier but even more so you know I'm starting and I've always felt that we're facilitators as coaches um, and the environment that you know we are trying to create is that there are more leaders within that. So ultimately, you want to create a team of leaders, and to do that, you have to facilitate. You have to f- facilitate and create the right environment so that comes out, and ultimately, then players will make their own decisions, and they'll make right decisions. And I think that's going to be probably the um, the involvement of 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 the next few years in terms of how that's going to improve. And just like we see in in you know in the rugby world, of so many leaders and so many big, big characters who make unbelievably uh, big decisions, uh, key decisions. So it's not then the responsibility of always the coach. You know, that's something that we already instill in in youth football anyway, in terms of rather waiting until halftime to make a tactical change. Can the players be bright enough to recognise, you know, these problems and find the solutions and act on them? And it takes leaders to, to really instruct and act on that live during the game. We are getting better at that, but we need to make sure that we we keep promoting it as coaches. And being diverse, you know, having a skill set um, and having having many different skill sets, I suppose, uh, to be a polished leader, uh, to be a, a, a type of manager, uh, you know, a, a type of coach, a coach educator, uh, a media expert, you know, all the things that are probably expected of, of, of managers and coaches gone by. But I think the scrutiny because of social media and the way that um, data and software and and technology is now used, we can't cut corners anymore. We have to be articulate to the way we deliver to players. We have to be articulate the way we deliver to, to media. So, yes, we have the media training, but how do we perfect that? How can we sell a message? How can we use these tools and opportunities to better ourselves as coaches? So that's something, obviously, to be prepared for we are having these discussions already, but I think the future coach really has to master that.
2: Matt, I've got to thank you. Uh, you've been such a wonderful guest. Your in-depth answers and you've really flushed out lots of detail and created lots of curiosity about you. And so I, I've got to thank you. I've got to thank you on behalf of David, myself, and I'm sure the the listeners will take many, many little gold nuggets from from listening to this episode. So thank you ever so much,
1: Keith, David. Thank you both so much. It's honestly, it's, I feel rewarded already. I'm emotionally drained, and it's it's quite nice. Like I say, you don't have an opportunity to to delve and, and to to reminisce, uh, but it's healthy to speak. And hopefully, some of the stories I've shared whether it's a bit of humor or whether it's something that someone can take away and improve what they're already doing uh, it'll be really grateful but thank you for your time both of you Keith David it's been such a pleasure and great to
0: see you on screen thanks for tuning into the Golders podcast today if you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed please do so Your continued support is highly appreciated and it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Podcast, and also you can visit our website at thegolddustcoach.com Thank you, everybody.